Uh, I want to introduce myself to you. My name is John Elam. I'm the Director of Missions for Northwestern Baptist Association. And uh, I'm not the pastor of the church. Brother Jason and Emma are out today, and we want to pray for them and uh, encourage, uh, encourage, just let them know that, that they're prayed for and loved, and they'll be back. Um, they're taking a few days off, and that's a good thing for them. Uh, if, you know, if you know our pastor and our staff, they're, they're busy folks, and so we want to encourage that and, and bless them as they um, are, are relaxing a little bit and, and themselves being encouraged in the Lord today. So uh, we'll pray for them. And I also want to call you to prayer just for the church in general and for our staff and the leadership. There's a lot of decisions that are coming up. We'll be talking about some of those tonight in a business meeting. And, and there's just a lot of great opportunities for ministry in front of Lincoln Avenue Baptist Church uh, that are exciting and that require us to um, take some risks for God. And that's a pretty cool thing. And so I'm, I'm excited about that as a member. Um, if, if you're new to Lincoln Avenue or if you're new to uh, Southern Baptist life, I want to just kind of explain uh, a couple of things. One, Baptist churches are independent autonomous, and this one is one. There's uh, 20 Baptist churches in this association, and I work with all 20 Baptist churches. I'm not in charge of anybody or anything. Um, it's a partnership kind of thing. We all work together to accomplish uh, missions and lots of great things. And I have the great privilege as a part of my job of being in pulpits in churches uh, when pastors need to be away. But I also have a great privilege of being a member of this church. And so it's always a pleasure for me to preach here uh, because I'm not just filling the pulpit. I'm, I'm home with my church family. And so I, I'm glad to be here with you today. And uh, I want you to take your Bibles, if you have them, and open to the book of First Peter. First Peter's in the New Testament, kind of toward the back. And uh, you'll find that... Um, We're going to be focusing our attention this morning on just a handful of verses in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. So we'll be looking at 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll start in verse number 4. We'll read through verse number 10. We'll probably reference a couple of others right around there. And um, we're going to ask a question this morning. And I believe we will answer this question. Ironically, we've already answered the question through some of our songs this morning. The songs that we sang this morning are, 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 are... are perfectly suited for this sermon, um, and that they that they help us answer a question that I think is an important question. And I think culturally, uh, for people who both go to church all the time, and maybe for people who don't go to church all the time, for for whatever reasons, uh, I think there's some confusion and maybe misunderstanding about what the nature of the church is. And Peter speaks about that. Uh, very pointedly in this letter. He says some profound things about the nature of the church and its relationship to Jesus. And so we want to read this together. So uh, we're gonna, we'll probably have it up on the screens, I think, in just a second if you, don't, if you want to follow along. And so let's read together First Peter. We'll start in chapter 2, verse 4. It says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious... You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And this is God's word. Amen. Let's ask for God's blessing. Father, would you bless your word and the reading of it this morning? Would you bless the preaching of your word? Fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit that we would take your word and be changed in the inner man. That our lives would be lived for your glory, for your honor. Lord, that your word would divide deep down in us, would root out sin, would help us to have a clear vision of you, your love, your great mercy, and your grace. And Lord, the, the, the way that you would call us to live together. Father, help us to understand what the nature of the church is today. And we ask this in Christ's name. Well, I want to ask this question, and I think it's answered fairly simply in this text, but I think it deserves some attention. Because a lot of times, the, the, the nature of the church is confusing to people, especially if you haven't been in a while, especially if maybe you don't have a background in church. I didn't grow up in church. Uh, some of you maybe have come to faith um, later in life, or maybe you came to faith uh, in Christ and began to follow Him uh, as a young person, but maybe your family didn't. And maybe it was okay with them that you did, but, but you didn't have kind of this, this default background that you understood all the ins and outs and when you stand up and when you sit down and why we pray at different times and why we sing some of the songs we do and don't sing other songs and uh, why we meet, um, you know, everybody just, you know, arbitrarily agreed to meet basically at the same time, you know, all across the country. I mean, that you know, there's all of these things that we do in the life of the church and and, uh, and, and sometimes it can be confusing to people as to why it is this way. And church life oftentimes is um, a little mysterious. And it seems like there's a group of insiders and there's a group of outsiders. And there's folks who seem to kind of get what it's about. And then there's others who seem to like, man, I've been going for a while, but I'm still not sure what this is really about. And so I want to just talk to you this morning about the church. And I want to commend to you this morning that the church is uniquely fixed on one thing, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. The church exists because he is the risen Savior and King of the world. And that's why we are a church. That's why every church that's a church is a church. That's why um, every denomination of churches that confess Christ and his gospel, the reason they exist is because of him. And, and we want to focus our attention on that. But as we ask the question, what is a church? You may already be seeing a problem with what I just said. And, and there's an honest problem with it. There's lots of churches that don't act like they exist because Jesus is alive. That's real. We have to deal with that. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a guy who's been a pastor and done youth ministry and I do a lot of, and now I'm a director of missions. So I work with a lot of churches and I talk to a lot of people and there's a lot of churches that don't act like Jesus is alive. They don't act like that's why they exist and have their being. Um, and that's a real problem culturally for people to, 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 to address. When, when folks come to a church and they think that it ought to be about one thing and then they find that it's about a whole other set of things... There's a problem. Or even inside of a church, maybe you have some folks that are saying, the church ought to be about this. This is what should focus our attention, our efforts, our money, our time. It ought to be focused on this set of things. And then another set of things, whatever they may be, good or bad, uh, sometimes it's conflict and controversy, sometimes it's broken relationships, seem to suck all the oxygen out of the room. And, and, and that seems to get all the focus. And so we should ask the question, what is a church. Is it a club? Is it a place for religious people to go? Is it a place for people who have kind of decided that life's hard and they can't hack it, so they're going to go find some help? 
uh, kind of get a crutch. I've heard that before. I've had people tell me that. You believe in God because you can't make it without some kind of belief in your head about how the world's going to be. And I just readily admit, hey, you're right, dude. That's, that's, I'm good with that. I'll, I'll accept that one. Because, because I, I, I see my need for a Savior. I see my need for, for the truth of God in my life. But there's a lot of confusion about what is the church in people's minds. Most people tend to think of the church as where you go when either one of two things is true. Either you're wanting to be a good person or you've been a bad person and you're feeling guilty about it. That's where most people land with church life. They think, well, good people go to church. I'm not a very good person, so I probably can't go. But when that kind of gets down and starts rubbing real hard, we say, well, I probably should go back. There's maybe a third one we would say that, that drives another group of folks to church, and it's when you start having kids. I got a phone call the other day from a, a guy that was in my youth group years ago and um, has done a lot of really interesting things with his life since then. Uh, been all over the world, done all kinds of stuff in the military. And he called me up and he said, you know, John, I'm really struggling my faith. I'm struggling with where I'm at with God. I'm struggling with lots of belief. He says, but... But I, I want to raise my daughters in church. You know, until he had little kids, he had drifted away from the things of God. And he had drifted away from, from gathering with God's people for worship. So, there, there's a, and, and I think he's got some confusion about what the church is and what the point of it is. So, I want to address this this morning and I want to answer some of these questions. And right up front, I just want to say, I, I believe the answer is in this text. I believe it was in the first song that we sang. The church is the gathered people of God. They are a people who God has changed and touched their lives in such a way that they exist. Their lives' purpose is to honor Jesus Christ and be his disciple and to live out his works in their life. Now, that may not be what all churches do, but biblically that is the purpose of the church. That is what the church exists to be and do in the earth. Again, we start right back where we a moment ago. There is a church because there's a risen king and his name is Jesus. And he has left himself a witness in the earth, a continual presence of changed people who continually ought to be loving and serving in his name and proclaiming who he is to those around them. So let's just, let's just kind of jump in. I want to start at this text and we're going to go back to verse 4. And here's what Peter says, ironically writing to the church. This, this letter is to the church. It's about the church in many ways. It's about the Christian life. And here's what he says about the, the gathered people of God. He says, as you come to him, meaning Jesus, and then he gives a qualification of who Jesus is. He says, he's the living stone. And we'll talk about what that phrase means in just a moment. But I just want to say right at the beginning, the church is a spiritual people. First thing I want you to hear this morning, the church is uniquely a spiritual people. We need to define what that means because for a lot of folks, spiritual, uh, spirituality is, is, is kind of a mixed bag. Uh, you, can look on, um, you can look on the television, you see Oprah talking about spirituality. I'm not trying to knock her down. You see uh, a lot of people talking about spirituality. I, I enjoy watching public television, and every year they do this, uh, this fundraising drive. And once, about once a year, and it always works out this way, that instead of catching all the really good music that they do during the fundraising drive, I always catch the real tall, big, bald guy who's spouting Zen Buddhism. Have you ever seen that guy on public television? Every year, he, they, they, they show this guy, and he talks forever about Zen Buddhism and spirituality. And he's commending a kind of spirituality to people, a kind of belief about the world to others. There's, you can go to a bookstore, you'll see all kinds of things about spiritual matters. 
When we talk about spirituality, though, in Christianity, we're not necessarily trying to talk about something that's very disconnected from your life. The, the great thing about the Christian walk and the Christian life and the, and the ministry of Jesus is that it's here. It's embodied. It's got flesh and, flesh and bone. It's got, it's got handles that you can hold on to. There's, there's a real Jesus who really was a man, who really lived, who really died, who really rose again, who ate fish with his disciples after he came back, who told them that, hey, I will be back, and that this world is not cursed in the sense that I'm done with it, but I am the beginning of making it all new again. And for everyone who follows me, I'll make them new again too. So we have this great hope in Christ, and it's a spiritual hope, but it's also a material hope. We believe in a real flesh and blood Jesus. You may, you may have questions like me. Well, how does it work that a flesh and blood Jesus is sitting at the right hand of a spiritual God who no one can see because no one's ever seen God? I don't know. That's a, that's a complicated deal. There's a lot about, uh, about, about Christianity that the, the Scripture doesn't teach us, doesn't tell us how it works. There's lots of symbols and pictures there that we're not exactly sure what they all mean. I mean, I, I, there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, there's parts of the Bible that are hard to understand. And there's just simply parts of Scripture that God hasn't given you or me an answer to. And he just hasn't told you what the answer is. But what we do know with great confidence, the very core of the Christian faith is the resurrection of Christ. That he is alive. And there is a church because of that. Notice what Peter calls him. He says he's a living stone. And, and he's going to be exploring a metaphor throughout this whole text, this image, that, that there's a stone that's being used to build a temple for God. And the, the most important stone in this entire enterprise of building this temple is the, is, the, is the chief cornerstone. It's the one that you get set and then everything else builds off of. And Peter says Jesus is that guy. Now, I want you to, I want you to make a connection here. As Peter is talking about a chief cornerstone for a spiritual house for God. That's what he says. He says, God is building up uh, a spiritual house and he's using you, living stones. He's talking about Christians. And he says, and Jesus is the living stone and you are living stones fitting into this spiritual house that God's building. It's, it's, it's an important thing to note that as he's talking about that, there was still a real temple in Jerusalem. There was still a real temple in Jerusalem that, that those who didn't trust in Christ and didn't believe his message, they said that was God's house. But Peter writes to the church, he says, no, I don't want you to be confused. That in Jerusalem is not God's house. You are God's house. Follow what he says. He says, Jesus is the living stone. You all are living stones. You're being built together by God. God is at work in you, the church, the very people of God. And he's building you up into something. What is that something? It's a spiritual house. We, we understand from Paul's letter to the Corinthians that the, that, the, that the temple of God is no longer built by the hands of men, but it's built by the hands of God in us. And God lives with us and he's come to be our God. He is present here. He is present all around us. And so as we think about this idea, we're, we're, and we're going to explore more of these things, we, 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 we ask the question, what is the church? First, we're a spiritual people. Here's one of the things I think is unique about Christians. And this is what I think a lot of people maybe would view Christians as. We're a people who, on, on its surface, hold together two worlds. There's the world we live in, 
that's got bank accounts and railroad tracks and oil wells and wars and disease and hospitals and schools. And everybody's got to get up tomorrow and have a schedule and go about whatever it is you're going to do. Or maybe your schedule starts tonight. Maybe you work a, an evening shift somewhere. And so uh, you've got to do whatever it is you're going to do. And there's this world. And then we talk about when we meet on Sundays and Sunday evenings and Wednesdays and we go on mission trips. We talk about this other world, this spiritual world. And we hold these two worlds kind of in some sorts of contradictions. Well, we don't really see the spiritual world around us, but we believe in this spiritual world. And I think that's how most folks view Christians, as kind of living in two worlds at the same time. But I would submit to you that is just completely not the case. The nature of Christianity is that all that is true about God is present now for us in Christ, in God's Word, in the Holy Spirit, and in us. Maybe we should begin to think about the church a little more seriously than we have in the past. Isn't it a big deal that God has left a people to speak about his word, his name, his glory, his purposes in the earth? This material world that seems like it has kind of this aimlessness about it, that God has said, no, I have a purpose for all of this. Christians aren't these folks that hold two things in contradiction. No, what we're actually saying with our presence and the presence of God in us is that there is a new world that is coming but it has already begun now in Christ and in us and in us. This isn't some sort of escapism where we're trying to just get off the hook of living our lives. No, we live fully as disciples of Jesus, knowing that he's going to ask us to do hard things and knowing that the requirements of being a Christian are high, but the entrance is all but of grace. There's no way we work our way there. And that the the currency of this kingdom is love and mercy and the kindness of God at work in us. So as we think about what is the church, we say we're a spiritual people. Second thing I want you to see is that we're a people uniquely drawn to Jesus. Notice what he says. He says, as you come to him. If you back up just one verse, he says, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Verse 3 says, he says, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. So Peter is opening up his Bible. Now, when we open up our Bible, we read his letter. When he opened up his Bible, he read the Old Testament. Is that, is that track? None of these letters had been collected at this point. So he's writing this letter to the church and they would receive it and they would believe it was true. But when he speaks to them from scripture, he's pointing back to a different testament, the Old Testament. We read that. We read it all the time. I love to preach from the Old Testament. Psalm uh, chapter 34 verse 8 says this. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good and blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So Peter makes this great connection. He reaches all the way back into the Old Testament, the God of the Old Testament. He, he brings that verse to the present and he speaks it to the church. And he says, for all of you who have seen that Jesus is good, you have tasted and seen that he is the one Son of God, glorious, mighty, powerful, overcoming sin, death, and hell. That He alone can provide the forgiveness of sins. And that He's the greatest of men. Those of you that have seen Him for who He is, I want you to know something about you. As you come to Him, He's at work doing something in you. He is building a house with you for God. The house that... God lives in again, is not made by the hands of men. It is made by the hands of God in us. The second thing he says about that is that we are not only a house, but we're a priesthood. Now, most of us don't know the priesthood. It doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but it made a lot of sense to Peter and to the people he wrote about. What, what do we understand about the priesthood? 
Well, there was a real temple. It still existed when he wrote this. It had not been destroyed by the Romans. That happened a few years later. But when he wrote this, there was still a temple. There was still a group of people whose whole job was to oversee religious services on a daily and weekly basis. There were people whose whole, whole lifetime was devoted to ministering in the temple. And they would organize the sacrifices. They would make sure that people had the appropriate things to offer at the different times of year. They would oversee the feasts. They would oversee uh, the, 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 uh, the sacrificial system. On the great day when, we, when, 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 the, when the Jews would gather themselves together to celebrate the Passover, man, it was this huge effort of just work. To gather in all the, the animals for sacrifice and then to offer the sacrifices. And then to, to extend that up as worship to God. And, and I want to say, for its day, that was the right thing. We just understand that that was a picture of something else that was to come. Which was Christ himself. But there was a real priesthood in this day that still existed. It had not gone away. But Peter points to the church and he says, what I want you to understand is that it's no longer about making an animal sacrifice in a temple in Jerusalem, but it's about your life being poured out as a spiritual sacrifice for God in the name, for others in the name of God. You're making spiritual sacrifices for Him. So, it, now that doesn't mean otherworldly, doesn't mean it's silly, doesn't mean it doesn't have uh, handles on it that we don't do it in our lives. Maybe we might say it this way. Whereas before the emphasis was on what animal will you take, to offer to God at the temple. Now the emphasis is on those of you that follow Christ, what action will you participate in to lovingly show His mercy and grace to another? How will you serve your fellow man? How will you serve your neighbor? How will you serve those who are poor and in need? How will you sacrifice spiritually for them in the name of God to show His presence in your life? We're, we're, we're recognizing that God has left the temple. He's not there anymore. But where is He? He's with me and he's with you if you're the church. The church is a spiritual people. The church is a people who are uniquely fixed on Jesus. This living stone. We said we would talk a little bit more about what Peter said in the Old Testament. Well, he quoted Psalm 34, 8. He also quotes an extended passage from Isaiah. And, and, and we read the passage. And, and the idea in, in this passage was that there was a people of God named Israel. And they were the people of God in the Old Testament. When Christ comes to them, they fail. Most of them fail to see him as their Messiah, as their king. And so Peter says, what has happened here is that God has begun a new thing in the world. And this new thing is about Jesus. And there's basically a dividing line that breaks on him. For all peoples. For all peoples. And it, and it, and it works like this. For those that see him as God's son, glorious and mighty who ultimately will give the confession of the church, which is, we are His people, bought, bought by Him with His blood at the cross, victorious with Him because of His resurrection. For all of them, this stone is the corner of your life. It is the, it is the very foundation of who you are and who we are collectively. But for everyone that does not do that, it becomes a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, is what he says. And he says they'd stumble because they disobey his word. But then he says this is not the case for the church. So as we see, Peter's reaching back into the Old Testament. He's bringing God's word alive for God's people saying, this is who you are. And then, and then he does this, this kind of rattle off list. He says, you are a chosen race. Now, what's interesting about this is he's talking to a mixed group of folks. This isn't just one race of people. 
In this room right here, because America is a melting pot, we have people from who knows how many different backgrounds. Probably a number of European backgrounds. There's people from, there may be people from Latin America here. There may be people from uh, Mexico here. There may be people from all over the world. Their backgrounds are, are here in, in, in the U.S. And, and here in Oklahoma, we have that. There's a t- you'd be surprised how many different backgrounds of people are right here in Woodward, Oklahoma. But in this day, there was one group of people who didn't mix with anybody, and they were the Jews. And they prided themselves on being a chosen race by God, and they, they weren't having anything to do with anybody else. But Peter is writing to a mixed group of folks. He says, hey, no longer are there walls of separation between people. Now there is one good news for all men. And that good news is that in Christ we find salvation and hope and life. And he says, the church now is this chosen race. And that's the church in South Korea. And that's the church in China. And that's the church in Woodward. And that's the church in Argentina. And that's the church in Uzbekistan. That's the church in Iran and Iraq. That's the church in Israel. There are Christians in Israel. That is the church wherever you find people confessing the name of Christ, hoping in Him only, and gathering themselves together to embody all that God is doing. And he says, you are that people. He goes on, he says... You're a royal priesthood. You exist as a, as, a, as a way of offering sacrifice and honor to God. Spiritually. You exist as a holy nation. Crossing every border, every boundary, every language. Every barrier that men would erect that divide us. Jesus tears them down and unites his people around his good news. He says, you are a people for God's own possession. So are you tracking with me? We're answering the question, what is the church? And I think Peter's answering this question for us. He says it's a spiritual people, living stones, building a house. God is building a house for himself in the earth in every generation with people who confess the name of Christ. But there's always got to be a purpose in what God does. God never does anything without a purpose. There's a hinge in this verse that we need to see because on this hinge... This verse turns. And as we look at what the hinge of this verse is, we see that God's reason for building a house and reason for gathering a people to himself is really important. Follow with me here. He says, You're a chosen race, verse number 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Christian, let me ask you a question. Is the purpose of your life to proclaim the greatness of God on a daily basis? It is. Whether you knew it or not, it is. If you're here today and you're interested in who Christ is, but you're not really sure if you're a Christian, you're not really sure if you're ready even to make the commitment. You know, Jesus says, hey, don't make this commitment lightly. You should count the cost of what it means to follow me. And, and, and you're not really sure where you are with God and whether you're really ready to commit. What I want you to know is that he is worthy of your life and all that you give him. Because he is mighty. He, as I said earlier, he is the best of all men. He's the greatest that there is. And he's worthy of all that we have. And the reason he works in us the way he does is so that he can demonstrate the excellency of who he is, what he's done, and what he's accomplished through a real people. This isn't just a set of abstract ideas that people believe and then kind of generally follow. This isn't just moral teaching. I mean, this is nothing short of uh, the whole world being created over again in God's image in Christ. 
And, and I want you to see that the hinge of this verse says the reason he has said these things and done these things and he is at work in you and he's at work in me in the church is so that we might live to proclaim his excellencies in the earth. So how do we do that? How do we collectively, how do we individually proclaim him in our work, in our families, in our schools? How do we as a church proclaim Christ? Well, we'd say, well, we, we hire a preacher to stand up and preach the gospel every Sunday. He preaches to us. He preaches to others. If people need to know about God, we invite them to go hear that guy. Well, that's one part of it. But I think it's a lot more than that. Our lives, the very quality of our lives demonstrates, if I can say it that way, who Christ is in us and the, ex- and, and the extent to which his work and his leadership in us has taken a hold. Let me tell you why I think this is an important question that we answer. What is the church? If you think of the church wrongly, right? Think, track with me. If you get the wrong idea about what the church is, for instance, if you're someone who thinks that the church is where good people go and where bad people go when they want to get good, then all you're going to really be interested in is kind of ideas in your head and some, some moral adjustments in your life. Maybe you won't drink as much. Maybe you'll quit kicking dogs. I don't know. I mean, you're, you're just going to make some adjustments and you'll be, a, you'll be a nicer, better person to hang around. I mean, that's just a given. You're going to be influenced by people who, who don't lie and don't cheat and don't steal as much. I mean, I'm not saying they're perfect, but they're, they're, they're maybe kind of pointing their life toward doing some better things. And you'll be a more moral person. Now, I think that's true. That's completely not the reason that Jesus gives the, the church to the world. is for moral change in the lives of people. That is completely not it. But if you think that that's the point, then that point will drive all of your activity in this thing. Or maybe if you think that the point of the church is kind of a a social excursion, maybe it's a place where people with some similar beliefs go just to gather and spend some time together. Well, then that that point is going to drive everything that you think this is about. Do Do you see how this works? Whatever you think the church is about will drive your activity in it. And if enough people get together and think that the church is about the wrong things then over time the church becomes about the wrong things. And all of the activity in there, it's not horrible activity, it's not wrong activity, it may not even be sin necessarily. But it's not pointed at what God called the church to be. And as a result, churches drift from their purposes, the thing God's called them to be, which is to be a spiritual people built by God to be a house for Him, to be a priesthood in the earth offering spiritual service to God. And that spiritual service is an embodied thing. It's, it's a thing that we do in our bodies. It's, it's, it's JP bringing me buckets to plant tomatoes the other day, taking time out of his day to help me out. Hey, hey JP, you got any buckets? I do. Well, I'm going to bring them to your house. Well, hey, whenever you get time. Hey, loving me and wanting me to plant tomato plants. I mean, that's a big deal to me. I take my tomatoes seriously, and mine didn't grow very good last year. And you're like, well, that's silly. It's really not silly. There's, there's probably 11,000 people in Woodward I could have called who would have said, what? Who, why are you, how'd you get my cell phone number? Why are you calling me? But see, he's my brother. And, and, he, and he wants to help me out. And, and we, we live our lives in relationship with one another. It's the same kind of thing that, that calls a missionary to go across oceans and knowingly go to a place where they may be killed to profess Christ. It's the same kind of thing that causes someone to go and lay their life out for others in the name of God. Knowing that when they do, there may be great danger or sacrifice or cost to them. 
It's the big and the small all the way around us. But see, if we misunderstand what this is about, if if we get the idea of the church wrong, then we will end up doing wrong things as a people. And the problem with that is that it's, it's slippery. It's hard to know when you're, when you're off. Which is why we need to have these sermons periodically. It's, which, it's the reason I need to preach this to myself. So that I make sure that I'm on track. And that we together make sure that we're on track. So we might say, now that we understand what the point of this thing is, we, we are a church so that we might proclaim the excellencies of God in the earth, the, the beauty of Christ, that we might say, Psalm 34, 8, Oh, come and taste and see that the Lord is good, and Jesus is that Lord. Come and see how great He is. Come and see the change He'll make in your life. As we think about that, we, we might want to ask this next question. Well, then, how do we live as his people. I just want to offer a few things. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. I just want to kind of run down a list. I think that we are called to new kinds of thinking. As, as opposed to being a people who are always thinking about ourselves, we're called to be a people who think about others. As opposed to being a people who are always thinking about how we can uh, get ahead for us, we're thinking of ways, we're looking, we're actively looking for ways that we can involve ourselves in the needs of people and serve them in Christ's name. I think it brings new kinds of thinking. I, I don't just think it brings new kinds of thinking. I think that we, uh, we, we learn new kinds of work and new kinds of actions and activity in our life. You know, as, as opposed to being the person who says, hey, all that matters is this world and, and I've just got, you know, 73 years that I'm going to live and I'm going to get as much as I can while I can and then I'm going to save up as much as I can to give to my kids so they can have as much as they can have and, and we're just not going to worry about anybody else uh, unless we just really like them. And if we really like them, we might help them a little bit. But mostly we're going to be concerned about us and getting ours. And we know that that, that attitude exists all around us. Well, I think, I think Christians come around and say, no, no, that's, that's really not what we do. We, we care for those who have great needs. And we teach other people to care for those who have great needs. We learn a new kind of work and a new kind of activity as the very default in our life. I, I, think, I think as we're saying, we want to live as the people of God. We want to be a people who actually show the excellency of Jesus to the world. I, I think we're a people who learn to live, and, and hear this one, this one's really important, with mercy and grace as our default setting. What's most people's default setting? Revenge, anger, scorn. You hit me, I hit you back. Maybe you've heard this phrase. Uh, you bring a knife, I bring a gun. You know, and that's a political phrase. We're, we're gonna, if we're going, we're going to go hard. And we're going we're gonna to go, go for the throat. And we're, and we're going to get as much as we can. And we're going to have kind of an edge to us about what we do. And man, you see that attitude in the world. But you don't see that in Christ, do you? You see mercy. You see grace. You see truth. But I, I believe if we want to be a people who live out the excellencies of who God is in us as his people, as living stones, our default setting becomes grace and mercy. It's not vengeance and get even. It's not get mine, but it's how can I help you meet your needs, do the things you need to do. I I think we learn that true worship, hear this one, is not primarily what happens in a building for an hour a week. But true worship is the testimony and, and response that I have to God's work in me. True worship happens when I wake up on Tuesday morning and I know I've got a hard day ahead of me. But I purpose to honor God with all of my speech with all of my actions. I purpose that because he's at work in me. 
We, we learn that we cannot do the work of God in Christ's name if we're not willing to do the same kinds of things that he did. Well, I think that's a, that's a troubling one for the church. Because we tend to want to create um, kind of an atmosphere that the work of God is to attend this thing. The primary thing you need to be worried about if you're a Christian is to make sure you make this meeting every week. You make this meeting, you're okay. If you make this meeting most of the time, you're mostly okay. If you make this meeting half the time, you're half okay. I mean, we tend to think that way. Are you a church person? Well, how much do you go? And obviously, I think it's important that we go to church. But that's not the point. This is the overflow of our week. This is the overflow of who we are. This isn't the minimum requirement. And so, we have to be a people who recognize that our response of worship isn't only this, but it's this plus so much more. We have to learn... To focus on the priority of people in ministry and not our comfort and not our preferences. I think a lot of folks struggle with this in church. We're asking the question, what is the church? I'm, I'm describing for you things that happen in churches all the time that really aren't the church. That really aren't what we're supposed to be about. We have to learn that being spiritual people is a continual process. If you've been a Christian for 30 years, please hear this one. It is a continual process of coming back to Jesus. Coming back to Jesus being changed, and then going out into, into the world in his name. You know what? God is never going to be done with me this side of him returning or me going to be with him. He's not going to be done with me. There's going to be opportunity for him to be at work in my life, continually changing my heart, my mind, and helping me be the man he wants me to be in this world for his glory. Now, here, here's this kind of big one. We as a people take all of those things that we just said. And if the church wants to make sure it gets it right, we have to purpose in advance. Now hear this one. That we not miss the point. That we not miss the point of the church. Jesus was about a set of things in his life. And he said that by those things we would know that he was from God and doing the work of God. We must be about a set of activities and thoughts and hard attitudes that say we are living and advancing the things of God. I'm going to wrap up this morning with some practical things about Lincoln Avenue. Um, this congregation has some great opportunities in front of it that I think are really interesting. I think they're really unique. There's been a, a lot of testimony in this fellowship of people, in this service and in the next that God's grace is apparent. God's changing people's lives. And that's an incredible thing, amen? It's an incredible thing to see the work of God um, in the hearts of people. And, and, and it's not always these you know, really emotional, dramatic stories of the person who you know, was you know, the, the heaviest you know, crack user in the whole wide world. And then they gloriously quit using drugs. Although, I mean, I want to hear those testimonies too. But it's, it's, the, it's also just found in the simple things of the family that is purposing to love God, to pray with their kids, to teach them the gospel. It's, it's the simple things of the person who's saying, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be disciplined at work to do my very best in everything I do to honor Jesus because I work for him. I may get this, this other guy may sign my check, but I'm working for Jesus. It's those small things where, where the gospel of God and, and the gospel of Christ is at work in us, changing us moment by moment by moment. See, we're the church. We're the church. We're a house for God. We are a people who, with all of our lives, are offering spiritual sacrifices to Him. I want to challenge you. There's a lot coming in the, in, the, in the coming months with a new campus, new services, new ministry opportunities expanding and opening in front of us. 
Let's make sure at this church we don't miss the point. Let's make sure. I, I, this is the thing that was really convicted to me when I thought about this. I got to make sure that I don't miss the point. What's the point? The point is to be a spiritual people first and foremost. A people uniquely concerned with ministry in others. The same grace that I've received, I want to become a conduit so that grace can flow through me into someone else. And I don't want to stall out and think that something along the way is the point when it's not. When it's not the point. And so, let me, let me just commend to you. If you're a part of Lincoln Avenue, be living stones connected to Christ who is the chief living stone. Be a spiritual people. And you say, well, I don't know how to do that. Just start. Just start. Start praying. Start reading your Bible. Start loving someone in the name of Christ. Try to think of someone else rather than yourself. Have the same attitude of Jesus to be a servant to all. That's what Colossians teaches us. Just begin to do those works. New thoughts, new actions, new attitudes. Grace and mercy is our default setting. Recognizing that God is here. And I don't just mean in this church. He's in the church. He's with us. And he is the one that is moving this forward. So as we conclude this morning, I want you to, I want you to really think about what is the church what is my life? How does it fit in? Am I a Christian? Am I following Christ? If you're not, I want you to know this is a safe place to be. It's a great place to come ask questions. It's a great place to explore who Jesus is and to count the cost of what it means to follow him. And if you are a Christian, Christian, let me call you this morning something great. Let me call you to be God's household in this world, the place where people can say, oh yeah, we know about those folks. They do great things for God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word this morning. And I thank you for the testimony of uh, the Apostle Peter. And uh, the great vision of your people as a spiritual house. And Father, I pray that we would purpose in advance to not miss the point by focusing our efforts and attention on other things. But that we would uniquely focus our efforts and our attention on the things that you focused your efforts and your attention on. People, love, mercy, grace, kindness, and expanding opportunities to display those things in the earth. Father, help us to be a people who see that our lives are about displaying your excellence and your greatness and your, and your might and the grace by which you've changed us. Father, help us to be a people who speak about the cross, the resurrection, the forgiveness of sins, the good news of Christ. Help us to be a people who live for you in all that we do. We say these things in Christ's name.